This episode is made possible by Purina ProPlan Veterinary Diets. Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I got a good episode for you today. I'm here with Dr. Tracy Zager, and we were talking about the Purple Leash Project. Now, the Purple Leash Project is a pet-facing project to help victims of domestic violence. Um, I am really happy with this episode. I, I see it as a very positive episode. I feel empowered after this episode, which is great. Um, I feel like I know things that I did not know before that are going to help me help people. I feel like we talked a lot about action steps and things that we can do to try to make the world a better place. And so that's that's what I hope to get out of this episode, and it's what I got out of it. So um, so anyway, I, I'm I'm really happy with this uh, with this episode how it went. I hope you guys are going to like it. We do talk about domestic violence, and we also talk about animal abuse and how those things are related. We don't go into great detail on those things. But if those subjects are upsetting or troubling to you, uh, you may want to skip this episode or uh, just check out our transcript and see uh, if you want to uh, to read through. That might that might be uh, that might be a better way to approach it. Guys, let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the cone of shame. With Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Tracy Zanker. Thanks for being here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. How are you today? I'm good. I am good. Uh, I'm super. I'm super good for a Monday. It's uh, it's been a uh, it's been a, a wild uh, a wild back wild day back in the office, as you uh, as you know. But um, man, fall is here. Did the pumpkin patch thing with the kids over the weekend. Uh, you've got. You're not there yet, but you're going to be there. Uh, Tracy has, uh, she has a five month old little boy, her first, just back from maternity. Um, the excitement is just coming. How is the, how is the walking going at your house? Oh my gosh, he's doing great. He's running around in his little walker and chasing the dogs. And, uh, we went to, we went apple picking. We went to an orchard recently and he got to help us pick some apples and sit around some pumpkins, which was fun. But yeah, he's not, not quite old enough to pick his own pumpkin or apples yet, but we'll get there. (laughs) <laughs> but you got that, you got that uh, Halloween baby pumpkin picture, didn't you? Oh, we're going to. We got we oh, yeah. got one with a pumpkin, but we haven't gotten one him in with him in a pumpkin yet. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the opportunities are endless. Good timing, good timing on that. Everyone should plan their uh, their pregnancy around photo ops, I think. Definitely. And and you just, you just nailed it. Well done. All right, you. For those who don't know you, you are uh, a veterinary communication manager with Purina. You are a practicing veterinarian. You do small animal and exotic in Northeast Ohio, and you are here talking with me about the Purple Leash Project, which I am super pumped about. I'm really glad that you're here. Um, This is something I think more people should know about, and I appreciate you making time to be here. So thanks a lot for that. Uh, Do you want to go ahead and kick us off and just give a mile-high view on what the heck is the Purple Leash Project and why is it important? Absolutely. So the Purple Leash Project is a partnership between Purina and Red Rover. Um, Essentially what they do is they provide grants to domestic violence shelters to help them become pet friendly. Uh, The biggest problem that we know that a lot of these survivors face is that they have to make the choice of whether to stay in an abusive relationship uh, to protect their pets or leave their pets behind and escape. And that's not something that we want them to have to choose. We want them to be able to take their whole family with them. 
Um, so we know also just how often this is happening, that it's just really important um, that we provide these grants and help these dom domestic violence shelters to become more pet friendly so they can take them with them. Can you tell us a little bit about Red Rover? That's a group that I only learned about through you, and I, I don't know if, if other people are really familiar. So tell, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so Red Rover is kind of like a Red Cross for pets. They provide uh, housing and relief for people and pets in, uh, in crisis situations. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about uh, why having pet-friendly shelters is so important and the impact on survivors. Uh, so just uh, you, you unpacked it a little bit, but give me a, give me a clear picture of, of the prevalence of this and, 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 that, and that reality. Yeah, so one in three women and one in four men will experience domestic abuse or domestic violence at some point in their lives. And so with it being that prevalent, we also know how, how many people have pets. Um, and, and that's a huge part of their life. It's a huge part of their family. Um, and that human-animal bond is, is just so important. And we know 48% of people that are trying to escape a situation like that uh, delay their escape in order to help uh, escape with their pet. So we don't want them to have to wait to get out of these situations. We want them to be able to get out as soon as possible. Um, the other thing is we know a lot of um, abusers will threaten their pets um, or even threaten to kill their pets uh, if they try to leave. So having a way for them to escape and know that their pet is safe as well is going to help them recover and, and rec help their mental health as well. If they're worried about what's going on with their pet and their abuser as they try to escape, they're never going to be um, you know, fully free. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about where the veterinarian starts to interface with this? So let's talk, talk let's, I hate to, to go too hard, too much here, but I think it's important. Let's talk a bit a bit about animal abuse as it relates to domestic abuse and and then start to unpack what is the what is the role of the veterinarian here? What what should we be looking out for in our practices? Uh, to, how, how do we how do we start to perceive these situations? Yeah, so the role of the veterinarian is is way more than I think um, a lot of us consider on our on a day to day basis. So the link between domestic violence, elder abuse, child abuse, um, it's it's just so prevalent and it's part of that cycle of violence that we we think about so frequently. If one population of, of vulnerable individuals like pets are likely to be harmed by an abuser, then other vulnerable populations are likely to be abused as well. So we think of uh, domestic violence and we think of child abuse and neglect as well. And we also know just how often when when things are being investigated, another type of abuse or violence is uncovered. So um, on the National Link Coalition's website, they detail a, a statistic that I find just really powerful. So in an investigation of homes that were um, suspected of child abuse, they ranged between 60 and 88% of those homes also having uh, animal abuse found. Oh my gosh. And so it's happening as a, a coincidence really commonly. And we as veterinarians, if we, we've always been mandatory reporters of, you know, child abuse and domestic violence, that's always been a thing, but not, not every state has some sort of legislature or laws around being a mandatory reporter for animal abuse, which I find, you know, crazy. And so when we report suspected animal abuse, we may be saving other vulnerable populations within that household. We might be leading investigators to find child abuse or domestic violence and helping to save those individuals as well. Yeah, we have um, we have a, 
a broad swath of people in the vet profession to listen to the podcast and everything. So just to, to run through this quickly, what are uh, what are telltale signs? What are the flags that we're looking for where we may be potentially looking at animal abuse? Can you can you sort of run me through those? Absolutely. So there's lots of uh, there's a, a range of different types of abuse that you could see, whether that's neglect or hoarding, intentional abuse or not accidental injury or organized abuse, which is things like animal fighting. Um, the biggest red flags, I would say, overall just condition of the animal, those are going to be the, the most obvious signs. But the biggest one um, that I have seen in practice is when the injuries don't match up to the history, right? So okay. um, if an animal is um, hit by a car, they're not going to have bilateral rib fractures um, and uh, you know a hind limb that's, that's potentially fractured in multiple places. They're not going to have fractures that are healing in different uh, or in different yeah. states of healing, right? So looking at all of those red flags when the history of what they're saying happened and what the injury pattern you're seeing is um, they're not matching up, those are the biggest ones that I would say. Walk me out of this situation. So you, you've you kind of given me this this place and let's just say that, you know, I've, I've got a pet in and, and a history of injuries and I go, gosh, this pet seems accident prone. And I'm looking and I'm going, this doesn't, these stories don't match up. And I thought your fractures at different places of, or uh, stages of healing, it, it, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I can imagine me being in this room and not wanting to believe what I'm, what I'm looking at. Can you help me get my head around sort of steps that I might take from there? I, you know, we still talk about reporting it and honestly say, I'm not exactly sure where, where I would report it. What, can you, can you, can you help me uh, parse out where I would go from here? Yeah, absolutely. And this is where I really got into this space and how I, um, became so passionate about it is because I was in your situation. I was in the room with a client and things weren't adding up and I needed to figure out what to do next. And I felt like there were just, I didn't know where to look. I didn't know what resources were out there and I didn't know who to ask, right? You, we're all afraid that we're wrong. We're veterinarians. We're really, really good at being right. And we really don't want to yeah. be wrong about something so serious. And so a lot of people that I, I talked to as I was working through this, didn't want to make reports or didn't want to ask those tough questions in the room because they didn't want to suffer the embarrassment or the potential consequences, right, of, of being wrong about that yeah. or being wrong in, in that thinking. So I think if if you're noticing anything, right, you're the one who's most qualified to make that determination of whether or not the history and what you're finding on your physical exam is matching up. Police don't know how to do that as well. Uh, lawyers don't know how to do that. You know, veterinarians are really on the front line of trying to figure out, is this a non-accidental injury? Is this abuse or is it not? And and I think that's the big, the first step in this thinking is realizing that you're the expert as a veterinarian or a veterinary technician. You're the one who understands how these injuries happen and you're the one who knows what to look for on an exam. Um, in those instances where maybe you're not sure this is where it's a really good idea to have that relationship with these reporting organizations before you ever need to make a report, right? So you want to feel comfortable enough to call and say, hey, maybe I'm not 100% sure, but this is what I'm seeing. What should I do next? And how can how can I help you um, in, the, in the steps going forward? And they are more than happy to help you with that, right? So you don't have to be 100% right. You don't have to be 100% sure. But if you think it's happening, you should make a report if you have any sort of reasonable, reasonable suspicion. And those reporting partners um, vary based on where you live. 
And the National Link Coalition's website has a directory based on your county. So you can look up exactly who to report to. They'll give you the organization's name and phone number, maybe even their email and their address on that website. So you can write that information down and have it available to you before you ever need it. And I would really recommend to any veterinarians listening, make those relationships now. Call them, tell them that this is what you're thinking about, that you're not 100% sure about what to do, but you do wanna reach out and have those relationships so that if you're not sure, you still feel comfortable calling and talking to someone. Because what happens after you make the report you're not the police, right? You're not the mm-hmm. lawyer. You're not You're not doing anything else. You're just giving them your opinion and stating that you think something might be happening. You're giving them your objective exam findings. And what happens after that is totally not up to you, right? You don't have to worry about all that. This is really helpful. And I totally hear what you're saying about going in and having those relationships. If So for me right now, say I'm not looking at anything particularly that, that I'm concerned about, but I see what you're saying and I go, I don't have those relationships. So, you know, I, I, I'm I going to put the the link to the National Link Coalition down in the show notes. Um, it's definitely something I'm going to just take a look at to, to have that information. Do do we as doctors reach out to groups now and say, I'm not looking at anything. I just wanted to say hi and introduce myself. Is that what we have in mind? Or are you more, when you say have a relationship, do you mean mostly know who you would contact if and when you needed to? If we if we are reaching out now, what am, what am I saying? Because I don't want this... I, I don't want this to be awkward, and, I, and but in the same way, right. I think this is important. And so I'm really kind of navigating this weirdness of I couldn't live with myself if I didn't say something and, and someone was negatively affected. And so I'm going to push myself to go ahead and, and get my ducks in a row just so I can be there if someone ever needs me. Yeah, I, I think both, right? So it's okay if it's awkward. Um, it doesn't have to be, but it's okay if it is to just reach out and say hi and just say, hey, I'm a local veterinarian. Um, I was just doing some research on the connection between uh, animal abuse and domestic violence and child abuse. I think it's really important that I just reach out and say hello, and that way we can get to know each other a little bit. I think it's also really helpful. They can potentially educate your clinic, right? So depending on the organization you're reaching out to, they deal with this more than you do. They might be able to come in and say, hey, let's do a 30-minute talk where I I tell you more about how to investigate these things and determine whether or not you do have something going on in your clinic or what to look for. Or I can just meet with you for lunch and we can feel more comfortable talking to each other and, and know what we're looking for on both ends. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What happens, Tracy, when you call these places? Like, I imagine me putting in this phone call going, I don't really know. And then there's helicopters and people <laughs> right. crashing through windows and things like that. I know yeah. that, but like, what, what, is, what should be, what should my expectation be if I reach out uh, to, to a group or support network and say, Hey, I'm looking at this, but I don't really know. What does that set in motion? Yeah. So they might ask you for your exam findings. So they might just say, can you just let me know what you found on your exam? Give me some objectives, uh, some objective information that I can look through and help you to determine if there's something going on. They might say, if let's say if it's uh, like a hoarding case. So I had a hoarding situation uh, with one of my clients I, where I determined that that was what was going on. And all I did was help her find resources and help, right? So as soon as I contacted our local animal welfare league, it's not like they came out with handcuffs and put her in the back of a squad car, right? So they sent somebody to the house. 
They helped her rehome a lot of these animals. They helped her get the animals out and find new homes and get veterinary care. They educated her. It wasn't a situation where, you know, she ended up going to jail. They just provided her with the resources she needed to get out of this situation. Yeah. Um, and 90% of the time, that's what's, what happens, right? So there's education, there's some sort of intervention where um, the pet is helped, the owner is helped. They want these pets to stay with their owners, right? So if it's a neglect or they didn't know better type of a situation, they educate them, they help them remediate the situation, and then they kind of move on and continue with just welfare checks on that animal. Um, if it's a, you know, a really bad situation, like we're concerned about a non-accidental injury or intentional abuse, they might do uh, you know, a welfare check. They might also consider bringing police along, things like that, just to see what's going on in the house. They might investigate if there's been any reports of things like domestic violence or child abuse in that home before they do that welfare check. Um, and again, after that, after the veterinarian has made the report, nine times out of 10, they don't need anything else from you, right? You make your report, you get concerned, you might be able to call and ask what happened later on, but that's you don't have to be involved in anything else after that. Okay, that makes sense. You know, you're clearly really passionate about this, um, and this is something that I know that you were really interested in before you went to Purina. Uh, how did Purina sort of decide to get involved in the Purple Leash, and, and how did that get started? Yeah, so I, I know that there was... I don't know 100% sure, Andy, what how that first started at the very beginning. I do know that the partnership between Purina and Red Rover started in 2019. Um, and that was really when um, that whole, uh, the whole grant and all of that started. I do know as well that in general, Purina got started in this space because we really care about the human-animal bond, right? We care about keeping pets and people together. And this is one of those situations where people are having to make really, really difficult decisions to leave their pets behind in scary situations. And we don't want them to have to make that choice. That makes that makes total sense. Talk to me a little bit about how uh, veterinarians and the public can sort of support Purple Leash. Like, like how do they engage and what happens? Yeah, so the, the most obvious way that veterinarians could uh, be a, a participant in Purple Leash Project is to make a donation. So on the website, uh, you can make a donation and they'll send you one of these beautiful purple leashes. Um, they have really nice cushy like um, hand grips and they're very nice leashes, but they have walk heel together on them, which is really cute. Um, you know, yeah. it really symbolizes that bond and, and the purple is obviously a nod to domestic violence awareness, which is the, the purple ribbon. Yeah, I love it. Um, what uh, what else should people know about uh, purple live uh, purple leash purple ribbon purple ribbon uh, pur purple leash project um, red rover any final words anything like that this has been super uh, helpful and insightful I really appreciate you talking through with me so uh, final pearls yeah so uh, I think one of the biggest one really is that uh, the goal for the purple leash project is to make twenty five percent of domestic violence shelters pet friendly by twenty twenty five so that's our our big goal that's what we're are, we're striving for as far as the Purple Leash Project goes. Um, and then as far as, you know, the veterinarian's role in all of this, just know that by listening to this podcast and by going into your exam rooms with this in the back of your mind and seeing your clients and their relationships with the, each other and their pets through this lens, um, you know, that's really half the battle is being willing to think about it, being willing to educate yourself about it and then uh, putting it into practice when you when you go in and do your exams. 
Oh, Tracy Zager, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for the work that you do. Thanks for telling me about it. Guys, thanks for listening today. I'm going to put links to all of these uh, resources, to uh, Purple Leash Project, to uh, the uh, National Link Coalition, um, to Red Rover, all those sorts of stuff. I'll hook you guys up in the show notes. Gang, take care of yourselves. Be well. Do good work. All right. See you later. And that is our episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, as always, uh, it feels good to make a difference. Uh, you know, share these links. Um, think about getting involved uh, and and helping out. And um, and I'm going to do the same. But guys, um, yeah, uh, sometimes we forget how lucky we are and we forget what other people are facing. And, and uh, most times we don't have any idea what's going on in the in the houses of the people and the pets that we that we take care of and stuff. Anyway, uh, gang, be well. Take care of yourselves. I'll talk to you later.